0: I'm there. It's coming.
1: OK, if I could have your
0: attention. This. Listen, you all are going to be a part today of, of a first, of an experiment. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but months ago when we sat down and talked about this, it just sounded like the best idea in the world. I mean, we sat and we brainstormed and, and Russ and myself and Betty and, and Gail and Michael. And we, we talk about chapel. And we talked about what would be good and we talked about what would be really helpful as we conclude the series. And so one day we're sitting there and we came up with this idea about that. It would be great if we involved everyone in the chapel today. Uh, we're going to present a couple of, we would present a couple of case studies, some actual uh, events of issues that have happened on this campus. We would adjust them and change them so that they would be virtually non recognizable to anyone in the room. If you knew the person or a part of these situations. And then what we would do is we went we go along and discuss these issues. We're going to break up into small groups in the chapel and let you decide, kind of be the judge and jury. You're going to decide what would you do at this point. And, in the, and then also we're going to come back and explain to you what we did, actually what we did when we were working on this particular issue. Hopefully that you would kind of gain an understanding of what we do and we would gain an understanding of how you're thinking and together we would be able to work more effectively as we pursue our desire to know what it means to love God and to love each other. Well, that sounds so great, but this morning I'm not real sure it's going to work. But if it doesn't work, at least you've got to support us to have the guts to get up here and try something for the first time. So we really need your help. I mean, we don't know how this is going to work. This is an experiment. We're not sure totally what we're going to say. This is not an edited script that we have. We haven't written down every single word and so we're gonna, we're gonna actually try to reproduce as closely as possible what we do in an office, uh, in our office, in, when we deal with a student issue. Now, some of you, uh, have heard my testimony and you're aware that when I went to college, uh, I knew what my dean was committed to. And my dean was committed to getting rid of me and getting me off the college campus. There was no doubt. I mean, he didn't uh, didn't hide that fact. He not only showed me that in the way that he dealt with me, but he also demonstrated that and, and told me that eye to eye. Uh, my greatest desire would be to see you leave here and to go to another school. And so we understood where we were. I understood what he was committed to. I understood his values. And I understood one of his values. What is it he didn't like me? And, and that was okay. I mean, I understood that. And he and I battled back and forth constantly. Um, Some of you have heard me tell the story that one time I came in from work about 2 in the morning and the dean, dean of men, had gone into my room and didn't like the way my room looked. And so he took workers from the maintenance staff and they all came back in with boxes. And they took these boxes and they actually put everything I owned in these boxes and hauled them off into the warehouse of the school. So when I came in at 3 or 4 in the morning from working all night long, I walked into my dorm room and my, my room is totally empty. I mean, it never looked that clean except for the day that I moved into it. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And as I got angry about that, he left me a little note. And the little note explained that he came in and thought my room was a mess and he was tired of, of showing patience to me and tired of trying to work with me. And so he was going to take all my stuff because I didn't deserve to have things in their buildings. And so he took them and informed me that he was going to sell them. Well, I don't know how you reacted to that. Now, you have to understand, now you, maybe you wouldn't have done this, but I was a brand new Christian. I had been saved about three weeks before I went to my Christian college. And so when I walked into the room the second month of school and saw my room cleared out by this, this, this lovely man, and um, what I did, and I played baseball, I was playing baseball at Temple, and that was when the, the nice metal bats had just come out. And and I knew where this dean lived. He lived in walking distance to the dorm. And so what I did, this is the honest truth, I was so mad and so tired and so angry and so frustrated from fighting with this man because I knew he didn't care about me. I mean, he said he didn't care about me. All he cared about is that he didn't think that I should be here. And so I grabbed my bat and I thought, well, this is it. There's only one way to solve this, and this is the way I always dealt with things before I would say. So I grabbed my bat and started walking towards his house, and I was going to end it. I was going to hopefully end him more than me. And this is the honest truth about 4.30, as it's getting light, I take my bat, walk to his house, get into his front of his house, and I'm going to walk in the door, you know, kick in the door or whatever, and I'm going to go to his house with the bat, and I'm going to flog him with it. And uh, (laughs) I thought I was justified. I thought this this was what the situation called for. But obviously, he had other students think similarly to me, because when I got to his house, he had a fenced-in yard with two huge Doberman pinchers in the front yard. He had had that experience before, and he had had someone apparently come to his house before wanting to deal with him. And so I couldn't go into his house. I I had the heart to hit him, but I didn't have the heart to hit the dog, so I didn't want to do that. So I go back to my dorm room. I sit down on my steps outside my dorm and did something that I typically don't do, but I was just to to the end of my rope. I had no idea what to do. I was a brand-new Christian and just sat there and cried. I had no idea why this guy didn't like me. I had no idea why he couldn't just work with me. I had no idea why he didn't just try to help me, but he wasn't interested in doing that. Well, what we want to do today, hopefully, is to show you that you don't need to grab a baseball bat to get our attention. Hopefully that that our spirit, that you understand whether you agree with all that we do or not, that our spirit is to help you understand what it means to love God and to take that love, And to apply it to the relationships in your life. That's what we're trying to do. And to show you that, we're going to give you a couple of case studies. Now, in order for us to move into those case studies this morning, we have a couple of people. Our staff are going to come up here and help us. And um, we're going to talk through these things with you. And then we're going to break up. Wait, wait, wait. Excuse me a second. The the phone. Just a second. (laughs) Yeah? Well, hi, Hi, Russ. Yeah, well, no, I'm sorry. No, I meant to do that. You mean I haven't done that today? Well, okay. I'll do it right now. Russ, I love you. (laughs) And yes, you are the most wonderful man that I know. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought I had said that already. You need to hold me accountable on that. You mean our Christmas bonus? No, no, Gail's already talked to us about that. No, she said that we're going to get the same. Th- yeah, she told us. You're going to give us the same thing you gave us last year. No, that's okay. Really, it's no problem with me. I'd can. i I'd like another one because I took the one you gave me last year and I took it home. So, yeah, I can put this one in my office. But what, but, um, what size is it going to be? Is the, is the portrait of yourself going to be a 5 or 7? Or is it going to be an 8? <laughs> I would prefer the 8 by 10, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I love you too, brother. Bye. <laughs> OK, I it's fortunate that I had was asked by the WAS committee to update my resume recently. So <laughs> this, I'll be in good shape to, to respond to this. I calculated the other day and I thought this was this was it took me a few minutes to do this. But I calculated the other day in my own life. I've been saved 13 years and I figured it out. I sat down with my little calculator And I figured out that in four years of college, I had to go to to chapel every day, five days a week for an hour. And in four years of college, I spent 640 hours in chapel. In three years of seminary, I went four days a week there, I spent 384 hours in in seminary chapel. During that period, I figured I spent 2,184 hours in church services or in Sunday school classes. You add to that that I've majored in Bible, and I also went to a seminary and got a Master of Divinity degree. I've spent another 1,830 hours in, in classes being taught by Christian men in Christian classes in college, and 1,410 hours of sitting under Christian men teaching me Christian subjects in seminary. Then you add to that that I worked at Word of Grace, and where my job as an editor was to study John's messages in the Bible eight hours a day, five days a week. I studied the Bible there 2,080 hours for a solid year. So I figured it all up. <laughs> I figured that in the last 13 years, at a minimum, not including my personal study, not including the time that I've been in conferences and seminars and all that, I've spent 8,528 hours being taught the Word of God. As I was sharing that with our staff yesterday, our resident life staff, I think that I could say that my need right now in my life, I feel this way, is that what I need help in is helping someone come alongside me and tell me how to apply what I already know. I I don't have a great need, and though every week of my life I do read the Bible, and every day I'm in the Word virtually, and I am learning new things. But my greatest need, I feel, is that I need to know how to live in everyday life what I already know. And that's kind of the premise of this chapel, is that we're not going to tell you anything new. We're not going to be exegeting anything. We're not going to be expositing anything. We're not going to be showing you anything new. But what we want to hopefully do is to help is to work together so that we better understand as a group how to apply what we already know. That's that's our goal. That's what we hope we accomplish today. And to do that, we're going to start with Ms. Price. And Ms. Price is going to share with us an actual case study. Now, don't sit there and try to figure out who this is. The names have been changed. The circumstances have been changed. Everything's been changed. That We're very confident you can identify this person. But listen to what is happening with the intention of trying to figure out what it is you would do if this person came to you and that you were involved in this rather than me and Betty and Russ, okay? Miss
1: Price. Okay. Um, case study number one that we want to share with you um, it has to do, we've decided to name this guy Larry for no reason at all, so if your name is Larry, don't worry about that. But, we're just, but just to have a name to attach to him, we're going to call him Larry, okay? <clears throat> The situation, the case study with Larry, starts off in the um, early part of the the school year in the dorm um, with the RD discovering that Larry has what might be considered a questionable poster on the wall in his room. Um, Let's say it's a poster of a very scantily clad female person. And, um, And our approach The approach of our staff to that kind of situation is not that um, we don't send inspectors through the rooms and the dorms to check out the posters, to take certain ones down replace them with others. Um, What we consider is that the posters that you put on your walls in your dorm room or the pictures I might put on my wall at home are a reflection of who I am and what's in my heart and things that are going on with things that I desire and that I pursue. And it it's basically tells other people something about my heart attitude and about where I'm at as a person. So the resident director, and happening to be in that student's room and noticing the poster, at some point when he can be alone with Larry privately, he pursues that situation in that regard. Not, I'm angry with you, take the poster down. But tell me about this poster and why you've put it up, and why is this poster significant to you, and what's meaningful about it to you. In talking with the resident director, the student um, has a cooperative attitude, um, talks through some issues in his life, and and basically we use the word repentant appears to be repentant about that situation and desiring to seeing that there might be some problems with the poster. Appears to be cooperative takes the poster down. The next thing that happens in this um, situation is that there's a mandatory dorm meeting called, And and Larry simply misses the dorm meeting altogether, never says anything to the resident director ahead of time, never shows up at the meeting, waits for the resident director to come and find him in the dorm and say, you know, this was a mandatory meeting, what happened, why weren't you there? Uh, to find out if there are any kinds of extenuating circumstances or why Larry didn't come even before the meeting and say, I've got this emergency situation. Turns out there's not really any good reason at all why Larry missed the meeting. And he apologizes, but he doesn't seem to be deeply affected by the situation. Now, in the meantime, other things that are going on are that Larry's missing chapel. And Larry is fully aware that he has, for each semester, he has four chapel absences that are purely at his discretion to do with as he would. And so in the meantime, as he gets to three and as he gets to four, uh, the dorm staff is talking to him about that and concerned about him if he should miss the fifth chapel miss for no reason at all. Um, But Larry continues on, and he really doesn't have any reason why he's missed any of them, and he goes ahead and misses the fifth chapel. And so when the resident director talks with him, and finds out that there's really no reason at all for any one of the five misses, the resident director goes ahead and suspends him for one day from classes, Okay, which means that Larry gets a zero in class for that day and that he's not um, able to attend any of the functions that are going on on campus that day. Um, In the meantime, other things that are going on is that Larry is constantly having conflict with his roommate. Um, The roommate is talking with the resident director, other students are involved in this and trying to be peacemakers and Larry is just constantly, there's constantly an ongoing thing with that. In the meantime, there have been, there are a couple of students who are talking about the fact that they've been in that room a few times when they smelled smoke and felt sure that somebody was smoking in that room. They don't have any idea who that might be. In the meantime, at some point, the resident director discovers that the poster that was taken down has, over a period of two or three weeks, has been put back up, but in a location that's not quite as obvious to anybody who would walk into the room. And then all of a sudden one day, a student walks into the RD's apartment and says, you want to hear about Larry? You need to know about some things that are going on with Larry. Larry is signing out and he's staying out all night a lot of the time and you don't even know that. And he's got somebody he signs out to somebody's apartment and he never even goes there. But that's, but he's staying out all night. Now, this is the point in time where we want to ask you to talk with each other a little bit about if you have um, a decision to make. If you have a choice as a part of our staff, a dean or a resident director, um, how do I respond to Larry at this point? How? What would I do? We want you to spend. Okay, Dave's suggesting that I review for you. Let's have your attention.
0: Just a second before you split up. Let Betty just go through the points, each point. Now listen to these so you get them. Because you're going to do what we do. You're going to go into a little discussion, which is what we do. Now, this isn't real fair on our part in that when we go into a discussion, and you know this, who isn't up on this platform are the are the RDs. And the RDs are a part of all of this. In fact, most times they're the major part of all of this. We didn't know how to have them up here and then also then not have the RAs up here. So you know that when we're in a discussion, it's not going to be too too dissimilar to what you're doing. We have several people talking at several different times. We're talking with the RD. We're talking with the RAs. And then Betty and I talk. And Russ and Betty and I talk. Russ and I. Betty and Russ. And it's happening. And we're taking all the evidence and we're saying, God, we want to know what is the loving thing to do. So let Betty review those one last time. And then you take this evidence and you do what we try to do. You try to be a loving brother or sister to this student. That's what we want you to do. Okay, go ahead. Okay.
1: The questionable poster Um, that's taken down, the mandatory dorm meeting that's missed for no good reason, um, chapel attendance and the fifth absence that leads to a one-day suspension, um, constant conflicts with other people, um, possibly smoking, but nobody really knows for sure if that's even related to Larry. Um, The posters back up. And now this other student is coming and saying that Larry's staying out all night.
0: Okay. All right, find, find three, four, five people in a little group. Turn around right now. We'll give you five to seven minutes. You discuss what you would do in this situation. Then we'll call you back. Let me give you uh, 60 more seconds. Thank you. All right. Betty's going to let you know what we did um, in just a minute. But before we do that, let's make one. We were just discussing uh, some things up here that we thought would be good to to let you know I mean obviously you should know this we think most of you know this but just so you hear it from us again um, this last week my wife and I were wanting to put up an antenna on our house because we couldn't get we can't get where we live out there in Saugus uh, KKLA and there there are a couple of programs that are on the radio that we would like to hear particularly Sunday afternoon there are some talk shows and throughout the week there's some talk shows that I would like to listen to John Stewart's program and so forth. And so we checked into that and found out that I'm not allowed to put an antenna on this house that I'm renting. I mean, there's all there's this, this rule in this little development that I cannot stick anything on the exterior of this house. And I thought that was the stupidest thing. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever been in a situation like that, but I just thought that was dumb. I, and, of course, it, it doesn't seem to me that sticking a little FM antenna, which is just a little rod, basically, a copper rod in the air, would make any be any problem. So I go around the house, first of all. And maybe you're a little more godly than I am. I thought, well, maybe I can find a spot to put it up and they won't see it, you know, or something. So I can get by with
1: it. And then my wife, of
0: course, who's the Holy Spirit of the home, she rebukes me. (laughs) (laughs)
2: So.
0: My wife explains to me that Dave, and I said, well, Kim, God is does not matter to God whether I put up an antenna in my, this, this roof. And I was being really spiritual about it. And I said, God doesn't care whether I do that. I want to hear God's word being taught. And I thought I had a good justification for that. And she explained to me, Dave, the issue itself is not the problem. The problem is the decision and the spirit that you have in making the decision. And what we want to remind you about is that some of the things that we're dealing with in this issue is are not things that are inherent. Inherent in the decisions themselves Moral issues um, That's not the problem The the, deci- the item, the curfew For instance, the sign-in Is not a moral issue But the, de- the student's reaction and decision And spirit
2: to that Is a moral issue Now that's the difference And we just want to make sure I mean, Russ talks about that a lot You, you know, there's the kid's only Mostly in, in any kind of area of concern Because there's some artificial stuff in his life If he didn't have to sign in, then that wouldn't be a problem. If he didn't have to come to chapel, then that wouldn't be a problem. So a lot of problems in the scenario are artificial problems, which are there because he's in an artificial environment. Mm -hmm. And we're aware of that and, and also aware of that in our own lives. I mean, Dave brings up a great example with the antenna. The same thing is true where I live. There are certain things I can't do because of the CCNRs, and I've agreed to kind of live in that setting. I have to drive, I'm supposed to drive 55 miles an hour, <laughs> because the, the, the law has artificially established a certain speed limit. Now, my car does really good at 85. That's right. <laughs> I testify to that. Sometimes when I'm in the flesh, we see that. I still, though, so, so there's nothing morally right about 55. There's just something morally wrong about living in a country where it's supposed to be 55, and I'm driving 85 or 75. Um, so again, we don't want you to think that the person is struggling or has needs in his life for spiritual restoration because he didn't come to chapel X amount of times. There is no spiritual amount of times to come to chapel except all the time, right? Just checking. (laughs) Of course, of course, the real issue there, that is an artificial number for misses, Completely artificial and arbitrary. We know that. You know that. The point of concern comes is where, whether it's chapel or how fast we drive or whether or not we pay taxes to a government we think is paying, char- charging too high of taxes and then using those taxes even immorally at points like to fund abortion or to fund a war that you might be unsupportive of, et cetera, et cetera. Isn't, is that particular thing moral in itself? But am I being immoral by not abiding by it because it's the authority that God has in my life? That's right. Okay, so that's just a point of clarification. Go ahead.
1: So that we have an artificial environment here, but there's a sense in which all of us are going to deal with those kinds of artificialities our whole lives. Right. It's not just here at the college that we have to deal with that. Okay. um, So as we came together and as we talked about that, basically what happened in the situation with Larry would be that the resident director would, first of all, say to that student who burst into his apartment, um, I really wish that you had described this scenario to me without blurting out the name to me. The resident director would have encouraged that student who came and said, you need to know that Larry's staying out all night. The resident director would have said, you could have come to me, described that situation without even using Larry's name. And I could have helped you and talked with you and worked with you on how you take responsibility. Not me, but you're the person who knows about that, if that's in fact happening and i can work with you and and help you in terms of how you become the person who can be responsible to go back and love this brother in your dorm and respond to him and talk with him so even though at that point in time now the rd knows the name of what this student is accusing larry of and can't do anything about that but he can still continue to work with that student to say you go and you go and be a friend to larry and you talk to larry about what's happening on this artificial sign-out sheet, or what's happening with the choices and decisions that he's making about how to respond to that kind of situation. At the same time, the resident director would be coming to Dave or me, or in some cases, both of us, and talking with us. Again, giving information, but not identification, and saying, okay, I happen to know the name of this student, but there's really no need for you right now to know the name of the student, but I would like to give you the information that's been passed on to me, and, and you talk to me as a resident director about how I should be responding to students in this situation. So that we would have the information, we would be talking with the resident director, we would be holding the resident director accountable, what's happening with that situation, and with the student who's going to talk to whoever the student is who's struggling in this particular area. So at that point in time, everything would be anonymous. Now, over a period of time, the resident director at that point in time is saying, here's a student in my dorm that I'm concerned about, I'm not angry with him, I'm Hopefully not frustrated with him, but I'm but I'm recognizing there's some needs in his life. I'm concerned about him. I want to get to know him. I want to spend some time with him. Um, I'd like to get him and his roommate together and talk with them and pursue what are some of the relational conflicts that are going on. Why are they having a hard time getting along with each other? Working together, some relationship situations like that, so that again a period of time goes by. And not much is happening that anybody's aware of in Larry's life, except that there are some people around him, some students, the resident director, who have been concerned about him, who are praying for him, who are spending time talking with him, interacting with him about things that are going on in his life. Then we hit an evening where um, he is signed out for overnight to some other place, and some situation comes up, a family emergency maybe, where, the, where somebody in the family calls and there's been some emergency and they're trying to find Larry. Or um, possibly even some emergency in the dorm where there's a need to find him. And so because he's not in the dorm, you go look at the sign-out book to find out where he is and somebody calls that number and the person says, well, he's not here. And it's, you know, it's 2 in the morning. And so what that person who's trying to handle an emergency says, well, as soon as he gets there, could you have him call? this number, and then the next time you see Larry is when he returns to the dorm about 7 or 8 the next morning when he's never gotten the message and he's never responded to the need to respond to the phone call. And he comes back to have to deal with the emergency kind of situation, Uh, but now the person of the resident director who's been aware of this emergency and trying to contact him is aware that he did sign out for a place that he never showed up that night. Now, can we break into groups again? And have you talked about now, at this point in time, what would you do in that situation?
0: Okay, take five minutes, talk about that, and uh, we'll come back and let you know what we did. Go ahead. Linda, let us, um, as you're working through this, let us give you, again, two other things that we want to make sure they're clear to you on how we think and and what we're doing. Um, Number one... We want to make sure that you know that we don't call people. I don't call people. Betty doesn't call people. RDs don't call people. If you we when we when you sign out, we're not out there making phone calls, contacting people, trying to find out if you're doing something bad. That's not why we're doing what we're doing. If phone calls are made, it is made and I And you would just have to trust us on this because I can all all I'm telling you is our motive and I know my motive and I know Russ's and I know Betty's and I know the RD's. When we make phone calls, it is out of a genuine concern that something might be wrong and that this person, there may be trouble in this person's life. Um, And we have the experience and already in being here and I've been here the shortest of anybody on the platform. And I've had the experience twice when someone didn't show up, when they didn't sign out for curfew and we started trying to find out where they were. In, two, in one case that I dealt with, and Russ was just sharing another case that, they, that Betty and uh, he dealt with, in one case that I dealt with, I know that we started calling. We call the the RD calls, the friends, the RD calls, the, uh, tries to start looking and see if maybe there's any reason to be concerned about why this person isn't in. And in one situation, one of our RDs started making some calls, and we found out from a good friend that this person had a really, is having a really tough time. They're having a really tough time in their family, a really tough time at school. Uh, this particular day, or the day before, was a really particularly bad time at work, and uh, there was a lot of rejection there. And there was a lot of reasons for us to be concerned about the state that this person was in. In fact, one friend said to the RD, Well, I think uh, my concern is that so and so has said something about killing themselves. Well, you know, when we hear that and it's two in the morning, I mean, you don't have an RD go back to bed and say, well, you know, that's the end of that. And we'll just have to see what happens in the morning. That isn't what (laughs) happened. What happens is, is is that your RDs, being the concerned people that they are and the mature people that they are, when they come across that evidence, I don't care what time it is, they start getting on the phone to me. they, They get on the phone to Betty and then we'll get on the phone to Russ and we're trying to figure out what should we do? How far should we go to try to locate this student? We do that. We do whatever is necessary to intervene in any way that we can to hopefully uh, be a part of preventing something very tragic from happening. And that takes place. And so in this situation, that's what's happening. We're not calling to so that we can call your mommy and say, you know, little Zozo didn't sign out and we found out that he lied to us. You know, I mean, we don't do that. That's not what we're trying to do. And so that's not what we did in this situation. Okay.
1: Part of what we're wanting to share with you too is at this point in time when we are trying to work with making a decision and where, with a student like Larry, where over a period of months a pattern has been established, and over a period of months there have been a number of people working with him, um, spending time with him, pursuing him, and seeking to give him some direction and to be a friend to him, Um, then we are put in a position as more and more and more things happen and there's more and more of a pattern established of a real lack of repentance, um, that we have to make some decision at points in time about whether somebody like Larry is not really ready to live in a community like this and to be a student here and that maybe he does need to leave the college. And one of the things that we want you to know is that we're very much aware that as we seek to prayerfully make those decisions that we're not infallible that we don't always have all of the information that's involved in the situation. Um, We try never to make snap-quick decisions about anything that is that serious and that important in a student's life. Um, We spend time thinking about that. We spend time as a staff talking with each other, with the people who already know. Um, We don't walk into RD meetings and announce situations like that. In this case, no RD but the RD who is in Larry's dorm would even know these events. Sometimes we might mention the situation to others and ask them to pray with us again without mentioning a name. Um, but we are talking with each other, discussing, trying to discuss everything that we know about the situation, trying to take into consideration everything that we know about what's going on with, their, with that student, with their background and with their heart. And knowing all of the time that we're doing that, that we're not omniscient and that we're not infallible in what we're doing. But to share with you the decision that we made in Larry's situation was that in talking with him one more time after this event and seeking to sort through all of what was going on with his making those kinds of choices, um, there was just a definite sense that he was really not taking that seriously at all. And that we came to the decision that he should not be a student here, and we gave him the opportunity to go in and withdraw from school at that point. Uh, What's our attitude about Larry at that point in time? Have we made the decision that that he's a horrible person, we don't ever want to have anything to do with him again? Have we made the decision that surely he's not a Christian or he would come here and do everything right down the line like he's supposed to? Um, No, we haven't made that decision at all. I think there are times when students leave our college under circumstances like that that sometimes it is true that they're not believers, and they've never really been born again. But I think there are many times when that happens um, that they are believers, and I believe that, that believers in Christ are capable of committing any kind of sin that an unbeliever is capable of committing. I believe that there are times when students leave our college under those kinds of circumstances and they are believers and this just happens to be a period of time in their lives when they are really struggling or they are really in rebellion or they really have issues in their lives that they just can't get it together and they can't sort out. And all of us know examples of students who have gone through that kind of thing. And then maybe a year down the road, maybe five, ten years down the road, everything is totally turned around for them. And they are pursuing God and they are walking with the Lord and they look back on their some of their college days and college experiences like, Ugh. you know, that was really awful. Um, I wish that had never happened. A lot of times when I'm dealing with students in that kind of situation, one of the things I think about is that um, as much as they're, um, I feel like sometimes when they're in the midst of those kinds of sinful choices, that their perspective on on even the people who are working with them and trying to show them love is they don't perceive that as love. They don't perceive that as fairness. But my desire is to work with a student in such a way that at some point down the road, and maybe it's five years later, that they really begin to get things together. That hopefully they can look back on how we dealt with them and say, you know, I, you know, I really messed up some things back there, but there really were some people there, sometimes staff, sometimes students, who really in the midst of that loved me and really cared for me. And they really did try to be fair with me.
2: So you're thinking, wait now. We dismissed somebody, or actually allowed somebody to withdraw from the college. Let me, let me get this straight. Because they didn't come to chapel when they were supposed to come to chapel. They didn't sign out. Or they signed out. Oh, that was the end. Okay. They were late on curfew. There were a few other problems with the roommate, a poster problem, which was taken down and possibly put back up by him. And then eventually, two or three months into this deal, he signed out and didn't go where he said he was going. And it wasn't because there was some mix-up. I mean, it was an intentional move to deceive. You're thinking, wait, we we let somebody go for that? Answer. No. That's not why we let somebody go. There are people in the school today who I have personally worked with who have been involved in stuff, if you want to try to calibrate that, far more severe than that. Drunkenness, drugs, homosexuality, heterosexuality. People in this room that I could look at and we would make eye contact and we would know that we have talked about that in their life and that that has happened while they were here and they're still here. And you're saying, this is, this is weird. This is inconsistent. This doesn't make sense. Well, here's why that person was allowed to be dismissed or allowed to withdraw, asked to withdraw. A lack of repentance. What's the issue in restoration? Repentance. It says in Matthew 18, if, you'll, if, the, if your brother turns from his sin, then you have what? You have won your brother. And he is back in the fold. He is back in, in pursuing God and looking to be obedient and looking to have his, the net of his life mended, as it were. So a student is never dismissed from the college. And I said this the other day um, in a cause and effect relationship. If you do this, you get this. If you do this, you get this. I mean, there isn't, there isn't anything on any book anywhere or in our hearts where it's just automatic. Because that's not how we think. What we think about is repentance. And a person could be involved in all kinds of stuff. Far, like I say, far more severe than that scenario. But if there's a continual evidence of, you know, I'm really wrong. And I can see that. And, I, and I, I'm looking for some help. And I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. And I'd like to change. And then maybe they say that and three weeks later or four weeks later, they stumble again. But when they're confronted or caught, so to speak, as Galatians says, and they're talked to, they go, you know, it's true. That's what I was doing and I'm wrong and I don't want to do that. I want to change. Oftentimes, you'll go through that cycle with somebody because spiritual growth is not instantaneous. Right? You can fall a lot of times before you learn how to walk. And that's a completely different thing, and the sins involved in that may be far more severe than that. But when you run into a situation or in a long line of situations like this, several months, several contacts from roommates, several contacts from a friend, several contacts from a resident director, several times with a dean who's looking across the desk saying, I don't want to kick you out of here. I want to help you. I want to talk to you about a complete lack of submission in your life and all kinds of behavior that's revealing that. And you and I know what happens in our own hearts when you're out of submission to authority. The Spirit of God begins to convict you, Psalm 32. You dry up like from the fervor heat of summer and you walk around like there's a million pounds on your back. And the dean or I or an RD is sitting there saying, come on, let's get that thing off. Let's repent. Let's let's." And even though you might not agree with that rule, let's repent and come back under the authority of God in your life via the school at that point. Or the government or wherever you happen to be in your life. And walk back into obedience and be fruitful. And the guy's sitting there going, huh, I'm not interested in that. Said that the first time, said that the second time, said that the third time, said that the fourth time. Over three or four months, you go, my land. This is really hard. This is a believer who's saying to be a believer, we would assume as a believer, who is resisting the impact of loving people in his life, not to spank him on the hand and make him obey, to call him back to obedience and restoration and health with a consistent stick it in your ear. Not Not interested that person is the person that's right. who is invited to leave
0: and and to piggyback even on that our decision to do that we know i mean yesterday i went to the la county fair and there's a little booth if you've been there that's a handwriting analysis booth you've seen this little thing it's got these great big machines and computers and according to their claim to the poster if i'll write my name out on this little piece of paper and they run it through this machine they, they will tell me everything about my life, you know, scientifically and, and, and mechanically. Well, I guarantee you, we would all, the RDs would love to have this ability, the RAs would love to have this ability. We know that you would love to have the ability to just simply write on a piece of paper or type on a piece of paper a description that we've just given you and to have the infallible, God-given answer to the problem. It just doesn't happen that way. We are making decisions based upon our experience, based upon what we understand about the dynamics of spiritual life, what we understand about the person's situation. We're making those decisions, but we also know... I mean, I never make a decision. Betty never makes a decision. Russ never makes a decision that we feel 100% absolutely that we did the right thing. I mean, that isn't what we're doing. We're not omniscient, even though we pray for it frequently. To, To have that, we would give anything if we had it. I mean, but we're not omniscient. We're making subjective decisions based upon the wisdom that God's given us. And sometimes those decisions aren't the right to want, but we're doing the best we can. And if you were in our situation, we know that you would be trying to do what we're trying to do. But we also know you would make mistakes, too. And you do make mistakes in how to handle each other. And so while we're pursuing repentance, we're also pursuing it with a combination of objectivity and subjectivity, because our own sinfulness is playing in the picture, too. And, and it's hard not to be in a situation and, and to kind of keep total objectivity in fact it's impossible it's, but we're trying we're working through it the best we can now we had one more th- we had one more scenario and we're not going to be able to get through that because of time because we, we're committed to getting you out of time out here out of here on time today in fact John you're tall when it's what does your watch say right now 1127 when it's 1130 you're two minutes fast so when it's 11:30 just stand up Okay, that'll be my flag that we need to pray. Let me, let me just tell you about this last situation. And then maybe Russ and Betty and I can comment on the dynamics of confrontation. The last situation, we have a couple. The couple, both are in leadership. It's a male, female. They're both living off campus. They're both involved in leadership. And a student comes to us and informs us that, without giving us the names, that they know that this couple uh, is involved in in premarital sex. They're involved in sexual immorality. Without So we tell that student to go after them. We'll hold them accountable. We tell them how to do it. The student comes to us, not tattletaling, but with a, really a burdened heart and, and, a, and a confusion on how to handle it. And so we instruct the student how to go after those that couple because they're friends of hers. And so she does that, and we hold her accountable. We try to help her in walking through that situation. But in the and in the process, the couple comes to us and says that they would like to have help. And they would do anything that we would ask them to do to be helped because they're struggling with this sin. And we really felt that it was a genuine response. We felt like there was evidence of genuine repentance. And so what we did, and what we were going to ask you is what what you would do. What we did is that we, we did also tell the student that came to us to encourage that couple to come to us. And the reason we asked for that is because they were in leadership. And it's a little different when they're in leadership because we know that their sin affects all the relationships they have. And if they're in a leadership relationship, then we're concerned about the people that they're influencing as well. So we told the student, go after the couple, work with them, but encourage them to come to us. And they did. And they came to us very repentant. And then we decided to move them from leadership. We also asked them to move back on campus. When we did that, the guy decides to pack it in. And it was semester break and he leaves. The girl, however... Uh, comes into the dorm, into the dorm room where her friend is, who was a part of the confrontation, and becomes accountable to that. We offered them additional counseling, accountability with us, uh, with the RDS, and the RDS were brought into it. But in the process of all that, and this is what we wanted to talk about for a couple of minutes. In the process of all that, we found out in the lives of these two people that both the guy and the girl came from a family whose parents were in great leadership positions. And in one case, because the guy had a father who was a, involved in Christian ministry, a camp ministry, his father had been involved in many years before in an extramarital uh, sexual relationship. And the son knew how that was handled. I mean, he was, he was kicked out of the camp ministry. The people who were his friends all these years just totally cut him off, cut the family off, and it was really hard it was very hard for this student who we were confronting to feel like they could, could could trust anyone. And I think what we would like to discuss, and you guys pipe in here, is that we understand that on your part as a confront confronter, you're going to confront someone. That is really tough to do that. And we understand that's tough. It's also tough if you're on the receiving end to be confronted. I mean, it's the hardest thing in the world to, to have somebody come and expose your sin.
2: That's really true. Just... Um... This week, or last week, I was driving in my car with Kelly Bird, um, one of my best friends in the whole world. We've been working together in a relationship, I think I shared this, didn't I? About eight years, and he just started talking to me about my sin, and I wanted to strangle the guy. You know, that's the last thing I want to do, is have somebody take a look at my life and say, You know something? You've found wanting. And uh, it's tremendously intimidating to do it, and it's tremendously intimidating to have it done. But one, it's commanded in Scripture, and two, very healthy. Very
1: healthy. Um, one of the things I wanted to say, too, about when Dave said that we would take them out of leadership, that how we try to pursue doing that is like with this couple, we would say to them, and let's just say, for example, that maybe their leadership was wow-stabbed. That what? We wouldn't say, <laughs> oh, sure, you do it with me.
0: Okay, good. I also asked him not to do it while I was talking. Yeah, right. <laughs>
1: um, What we would do with them is to say, um, we, don't, we don't go and talk to Let the people finish. with the WOW staff and remove you from leadership. What we ask you to do is take responsibility yourselves to go and talk to somebody. And we would talk with them about whether the no. best person might be Russell or Gail or Michael or who that would be. We don't ask them to go to them and give any details or even describe what it has been. To simply go and say, my schedule's too full and I don't think I can handle WOW staff right now so I'm going to drop out is really not taking responsibility for our sin when we handle a situation that way. Mm-hmm. But what we would encourage them to do is go to whoever it is that we determine is the right person and say, I need to resign from WOW staff because because right now I'm really disqualified from being a leader in that kind of capacity. Um, and I'm talking to somebody else about the details of that and not go into the details mm-hmm. with that person.
2: Okay, good. Good. Just a second. I think it's for me this time. It's God. Hi, hi John. How are you? It's good to talk to you. Well, of course I'd be glad to preach in your
0: church for the next couple of months. Yes, yes. I I think you made a wise choice. Yes. Russ? No, no, I wouldn't use him. No. No, no, Russ is too busy. No, I'll be glad to step in. It's good talking to you. How's your golf game going? good. Talk to you later. Bye. It's all sin. Thank you.